Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for July 10th, 2017, featuring poet Gregory Crosby leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Julia Cohen, Shara Hardison, Bill Livingston, Sarah McCauley Passino, Alan Braverman, Harvey Sauce, Richard Fine, Gabriel Cummings, Julia Knobloch, Arthur Russell, Tess Congo, Dorit Jordan, Richard Loeb, David Grotel, and Scott Fishbein. So let's get right to it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for July. Enjoy. How's it going, people of New York? That sounded terrible. It's July 10th. It's warm. It's not raining yet. It's supposed to rain all week, but tonight it's not raining. We're excited to have you here. I don't know where everyone went. Everyone is here for Gregory, and now they have left, or now they are coming back. Anyway, uh, we have a few announcements before we start the open mic. There's a lot to get through. Uh, If you haven't been here before, here are the ground rules for the open mic. One thing is we have a three-minute time limit for your readings on the open mic. This is a this is a stringent time limit. If you go over, Arthur Russell here will beat you down and throw you down the stairs. Please keep to your time limit. If you have more than two poems, and those poems are more than a page, you are probably over three minutes, I am telling you. Uh, you know, if it's over two pages, just saying. Uh, be polite. It's cool to the other readers, especially to the people on the wait list, if you keep to your time limit. Uh, we do record the open mic every month, which we publish as the Yopcast. If you don't want to be in the recording, you should tell me that after the event, or you can email me to take you off the recording. It's not a problem to do that. Uh, we also vote for Poem of the Month every month, uh, which is done by audience vote, and you send your vote via text message at the end of the event. Right. So whatever poem you like the most, you can just if you can just remember the poet's name or the title of the poem, really the poet's name is the most helpful thing. Uh, if you could just describe the poet <laughs> to the best of your ability, if you don't remember the name, that probably works. Uh, the number for the first time tonight, if you don't have it already, is 718-374-1953. This is my personal cell phone, so please don't abuse it. Uh, unless you're going to send me funny drunk texts at 3 a.m. They have to be funny, though. 718 374 1953. Please try to wait till the end of the event out of respect for the other readers. Uh, try to speak into the mic because we do record it, although I'll have you know I bought some special recording equipment. So hopefully <laughs> the recordings sound like A grade from now on. We will see. Uh, if it fails, then, you know, fuck it. 
Uh, but we tried. Are there any other announcements, Arthur Russell? No, you got them all. I think that's it. So our first reader tonight is our wonderful professor who taught us about rhyme. Maybe he'll rhyme for you in the next couple of minutes. Give it up for Gregory Crosby. <laughs> Let's get right to the dirty stuff. All the pierced tongues in porn. The kind of success that isn't failure, but isn't really success. The sort of pleasure that is only money, hovering like a tiny drone outside the frame. The manner of speaking that ends on a question when all of the answers are plain. The way a room is really brought together by the memory of pain. The look in the eyes and the eyes unseen that marks a presence absent, an absence present. The pressure of a thought on the soft underside of a bland, recurring dream. The category mistake that is language, the taxonomy of release, the tiny hole that is filled with a pebble polished by a silent silver torrent of speech. Oh, God, applause. <laughs> Fine. In memory of when I cared. We were woken by the waiting for the other smoking gun to drop. Night comes quickly, a faithful dog, black eyes shining in a face of black fur. The fortune cookie tells us how the world will end in tears in bed. A black tea reads, in memory of when I cared. Every day feels funereal. We're mourning something that hasn't happened yet, but will. We have our ears to the ground, though our heads feel severed. We're having an out-of-the-body politic experience. We're an elegy, if by elegy you mean a motherfucker ready to light this place up. <laughs> All right. uh, too quick. Here's a poem that rhymes. Sorry. Not sorry. This is called The Petition for James Baldwin. Every name is here. It doesn't matter. A drop of blood in a world at war. What is any means necessary for when the ends seem to flutter in tatters? The nation's throat, the tip of a dagger. What are you willing yourself to ignore if not, not when, but now, the killing floor? if not the conscience, you only flatter. Resistance is never futile, but dread drains the inflamed cheeks of their high color. To hold in the mind forever two ideas. Help me, Jimmy, I feel dead. A ghost hovering above this squalor. Help the heart stay free for what it must do. And finally, Solstice goddamn. Summer doesn't care about elections. The moon, she is full with no more fucks to give. All this death, another sticky note, live. Every moment is a course correction. We have overcorrected. Connections without connecting. No time to relive the ravenous instant, the open sieve. The breeze, she never makes any objections. I'm going to take off my shoes, climb a tree, and learn to play the flute. 
The grass is dying to be crushed under you. The stars unseen would give their last light to be in Arcadia too. There's a suit of heat rising to clothe you in sky blue, in dark clouds of thunderous now, threatening from an unimaginable height. Imagine it. The bee buzzing in your blood. The longest longing day stretching out to meet your shadow amidst the shadows of the flood. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. Try the fish. Thank you, Gregory. Uh, we do have uh, maybe a couple of chairs. Is that chair free, Alan? We have a chair next to the, the wonderful gentleman, Alan Braverman. We also have three chairs here. So please come on in and get off the floor. That's how we like to do it here. Our background music has started downstairs. Enjoy it. It's here every month. <laughs> Is Marina Reza here? Okay, I got three emails from this person to make sure she was on the list and she didn't show up. Between you and me, don't do that. <laughs> I just, yeah. Anyway, our next reader is definitely here. I see a check mark next to her name. It's a beautiful thing. Give it up for Julia Cohen. I have two poems tonight. It's my second time reading here. This one's called, um, let's find do it that. Old Bird. Um, your wings are bent and cannot lift you to the heights that you are used to, and the seed you pecked so heartily seems hard and dry and seldom spread now. Winter finds you not as robust as you were in yesteryear, when all your feathers, tightly packed, protected you from wind and gale, and nests were there just for the taking, some still warm and banked with plunder, string and hair and bits of ribbon, affording you a respite from the gray days filled with insect seeking. Now your beak is worn and chipped, your beady eye has lost its luster, wings as black as ebony have faded to a lesser shade, and launching out into the void is frightening in a way it never was before. Old bird that wobbles in the yard, your days are few in number, and your cries no longer turn the heads of children in the meadow. And this one's called Caged. If I just spoke the words you long to hear, I would be spared your heartless humming and your smirking knowing smiles. If I just said the words in better tone, I wouldn't have to hear you flee for safety on the couch. If I just did the things the way you said, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep and have a headache in the morning. If I just loved you as I ought, I wouldn't feel my heart as heavy as a stone and you so far away. If I could make it come out differently, I'd paint this cage in vivid colors, dancing until dawn. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Uh, our next reader is a former Poem of the Month winner from the past few months. Give it up for Shara Hardison. 
This will be good. We got two tonight. This one's called Resume. You can core an apple with a dull knife. You can tell a bad joke without regret. You can ride a three-wheeled bike. You can get dizzy and keep drinking. When a hem is loose, you fix it. You can change a light bulb, a tire. When the milk is spoiled, you fix that too. You are the truck in the garage that used to plow snow. Some days you're the plow, some days the snow. In the morning, you calculate the ratio of batter to blueberries. You burn toast, the bottom of the pan, Christmas dinner. When it's hot, you pull up handfuls of grass and plant a too tall tree on the wrong side of the house. You can't be bothered with instructions. You invented the shoulder. Only years later did it grow cold. You are a good omen, a face in the bathroom tile. You are honey dripping that my fingers can't feel. I'm impressed by your atoms, the stuff of dirt and stars. This one's called Inheritance. I come from a long line of long breathing women. Women who slung carpet rolls over their shoulders like children and spun sawdust and cement into biscuits and buttercream. I saw entire landscapes form on the surface of my mother's face. Deep ravines and rivers, sweat traced and ever changing that looked like photographs I had seen, in part but not the whole, of a book I wanted to fall asleep to when she covered me in bed sheets? Or were they glaciers, slow moving and melting behind her all along? I could spend my life tracing those lines like cold inheritance, or let them seep back to water the plants in her garden. I didn't want her outside and afraid. I wanted her warm, playing with the dog who was learning not to bite too hard. She wished the same for me. I wonder, in the early days, did she ache to twist free the way I do? Did she dig up roots just to feel damp soil between her fingers, wishing some dark gods would reach up and pull her through? I keep thinking how divine it would be, sliding down, 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 into alluvial dust, mantle and crust, piping hot magma into the pit at the center of the earth and out the other side waving goodbye and hello simultaneously. Thank you very much, Shara. Uh, just to the people on the floor, we do still have seats here. There are two over here. There's one next to Alan Braverman, and there is one, I believe, next to Harvey Suss. Harvey and Alan are like our chaperones. You're in safe hands, I hope with you too. <laughs> well, now you sound dangerous. I don't know, I'm next to Alan, I'm a little worried. By the way, give it up for Arthur Russell who shaved his beard mustache. <laughs> I was uh, hanging out with Arthur Russell in New Jersey last Wednesday. That was a good time. With the uh, Red Wheelbarrow, Red Wheelbarrow poets. I almost said Red Wheelbarrow. That doesn't make any sense. Our next reader is another former Poem of the Month winner. Give it up for Bill Livingston.
Before I start, I just want to say, if you want to buy a book, if you're looking for a book, before you go to Barnes & Noble, before you click on Amazon, which refuses to pull its advertising from Breitbart News, please check out Books Are Magic. It's a little store uh, that just opened on uh, Smith and DeGraw. Uh, we lost Book Court a couple months ago, and it's opened by a former employee there. So let's support the mom and pops. That wasn't a poem, by the way. <laughs> okay, this is called Wayne's Lament. Starving hummingbirds alight on rotting lilies as liquor-soaked homeless men pile up at my basement door, melting like chocolate in the Brooklyn sun or a forgotten invalid during a Con Ed outage. The notes of Stravinsky in the air hanging like young fruit in September orchards plucked from their stems by our hungry ears. Stradivarius breezes drawn across catgut strings never sounded so lovely, so real. Breath drawn into smog-darkened lungs is finally expelled in high note, fighting the urge to retch in perfect pitch. The familiar overture is ending as the lock clicks behind you in, in a symphony of tumblers and pins. Another breath goes in, preparing for the aria of mourning. The first step of a long walk is taken as the chorus begins in full. It's called Spirit Airlines. I can only fall in love with screaming infants on delayed flights while sitting on the tarmac. Inescapable creatures not my own. The cause of discomfort, then anger, then surrender. The loss of all sense of control. I can't help but smile at the inevitable failure of the revolution. Those who dare approach the parents to quiet the kid. You discover the passengers you throw out on the you throw out of the lifeboat to feed the sharks. I sit back and admire the primal red face piercing wail of a siren scream. The kind of a pure hell pure hellborn misery that can only be silenced by great numbers casting a ballot. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. How's everyone doing? <laughs> You're the first person I looked at. Your face was just like, this sucks. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about Sophia's friend right here. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm just giving you a hard time. So Sophia LeBlanc is here from Buenos Aires. Give it up for Sophia. And uh, the other reason you should give it up for Sophia is I taught Sophia LeBlanc uh, in summer camp when she was 12. And this is the first time we are hanging out since 2006. That's like, yeah, hanging out. <laughs> you have to pay to hang out with me. That's, how <laughs> that's I just realized that's what happened tonight. Yeah, I should probably give her money back. Yeah, it's only five dollars to hang out to hang out with Jason Coop. Uh, to review uh, the poets we've heard, in case you are thinking of who to vote for, that was Judy Schneier. Before that was Bill Livingston. Before that was Shara Hardison, and before that was Julia Cohen. Our next reader is yet another former winner of Poem of the Month. Give it up for Sarah McCauley-Passino. 
Thanks, Jason. Um, I really just want to say thanks to Jason again. I missed last month because of travel, and it's really good to be back and have this place here. So thank you. Um, so this comes out of the conversation um, late winter about the Dana Schultz. Is that how you say her name? Schultz painting um, at the Whitney Biennial um, and when I was reading a lot of sound poetry. How many children have I swallowed and it is not even noon? Today is the day to throw dirt on the dead. Today there's more dead than there's dirt. There's more dead than there's dirt. There's too many dead. There's too many dead and too little dirt. There's not enough dirt for the dead. The dead are not dirt yet. The dead are not dirt yet. The dead are not dirt yet, they're ready. The dead, they are ready. The dead, they are ready. The dead, they are dead, and they're already ready, but I am not ready. I am not ready. The dead, they are ready, but I am not ready for my dead to be dirt. My dead are not dirt yet. My dead are not dirt yet. My dead are not dirt yet, they're ready, and their dead are dirt. The dead of my dead, they are all dirt already. The dead of my dead are all dirt. The dead of my dead are all dirt and all ready. And my dead are all ready. My dead, they are ready. My dead, they are ready. But I am not ready. And I am so dirty. My dead are not dirt. And I am so dirty. And I am not ready. Our dead, though, are ready. Our dead, though, are ready. Our dead are not dirt, yet they're ready. And their dead are dirt. And their dead are dirt and their dead are dirt. All the dead of our dead, they are dirt, and the dirt is our dirt. All the dead of our dead, they are dirt and their earth, but the earth is not dirty. The earth, it is dirt, but not dirty, and the dead are not dirty, but we are so dirty. There's so little dirt, and we are so dirty, but the dirt is not dirty. The dirt is not dirty, and the dirt it is ready when we are all ready, when will we be ready? The earth is the dirt. The earth is the dirt when the dead are all ready. The earth is the dirt when the dead are all ready, and they are all ready. But we are not ready. There's too many dead here, and we are not ready. We are not ready, and we are so dirty. There's too many dead here, it's not even noon, and we are so dirty and groundless. We are so dirty and groundless. We are so dirty and groundless. There's more dead on the earth than there's dirt. There's more dead on the earth than there's dirt and no ground. There's no ground on the earth. There's no ground on the earth. And today, these dead, they are mine. My dead, they are mine. All these dead are my dead. All these dead, they are mine. All my dead, they are mine till they're dirt. All my dead, they are mine till they're dirt. And this death needs such dirt. And this death needs such dirt. And this death needs such earth. But there's too many dead here already. There's too many dead here. There's too many dead here and too little dirt. And no one is ready. No one is ready and we are so dirty. No one is ready and we are so dirty and childless. We're dirty and childless and death is so dirty. Death is so dirty, and I am so dirty, and the dead are not mine. And these dead are all mine. My dead are not dirt yet, they're mine. 
My dead are not dirt yet, they're mine. My dead are not dirt yet, they're mine. Thank you, Sarah. Shows what you can do with just a few words. Next up is a man with a hand in his pockets. Give it up for Alan Braverman. Yeah, it's good to be back at Poetry Yop. Uh, the Department of Ed, after 48 years, gave me the summer off again. So poems take precedent over discipline. Uh, early today, I went to a stroll in Prospect Park Lake, and here's my poem, and hopefully it'll be embraced by the songtress below. Okay, and I have another short poem afterwards. As I entered near Park Circle, strolling into this 19th century preserve, I can marvel at the work of Frederick Lord, Lord Olmsted and Calvin Vu the magic of the flora and former existing as a parallel universe in the borough of Brooklyn. I cross a path, road dodging, across a paved road, dodging bicyclists, skateboarders, and joggers, suddenly thrust into the 21st century. Then walking along the bridle path with fresh deposits of horse manure until I encounter this wondrous lake, sunlit, Sunlight dancing on the surface while ballads and geese take flight and seagulls soar and dive for fish. A pair of swans approach the shore gliding gracefully in unison along the still waters. These snowy white creatures in sharp contrast to the small brown ducks waiting near the edge of the lake. As I glance up near a fallen tree limb, an egret is perched flapping its immense wings, a solitary figure, almost regal, alongside other avian wildlife that occupy this body of water. When stirred, the cacophony of honking and screeching echoes across the park. The sun sets along the horizon and shadows envelop the lake as trees silhou are silhouetted the emerald green, alizarin crimson, cadmium orange, and cobalt blue tone fade into green, gray, then black, knowing it's time to leave. Yeah. The next poem is a short one. It's called My Personal Poem. My heart can be broken beyond this symbolism. My brain can be shattered beyond the poetic realm. My eyes can uh, lose focus beyond the writer's vision. My ears can listen beyond the rhyming couplets. My hair can fall in grace beyond an ode to a metaphoric follicle. My bare feet can touch the earth beyond the realm of mortal stanzas. My mouth can roar like a lion beyond the poet's call to an endangered species. My chest can beat without pain beyond the restraints of a sonnet. My nose can smell the odor of time beyond the scent of a distant haiku. My, my hand can write figuratively beyond the restraints of the proverbial page. My mind can be the center of the universe beyond the flowery realm. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Alan Braverman. 
That was really sweet, as Arthur Russell said. Before that was Sarah McCauley Passino. Before that was Judy Schneier. Is Charlene Guerna here? Negative, as Ricky would say. Ricky is not here. Our next reader has an announcement for you, as well as poems. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. whether to dance to the music or read to you. Um, but the announcement initially is that I'm hosting, starting uh, last month, uh, a monthly reading series at a place called the Montour Club, which is this. And uh, they have been kind enough uh, with some prodding from me to let me do it. Uh, the next reading is going to be an open mic reading on uh, Wednesday, the, I think it's the last Wednesday, the 26th of this month, from 8 to whenever. Uh, I had scheduled it from 8 to 9.30, but if we go over, it, it'll depend on the attendance. Uh, I hope to be able to afford fi at least five minutes to any reader. Uh, if I'm reading to myself, then uh, I'll do a little longer than that. Uh, but I have these sitting on the table there. Within, with directions for anybody who needs it. It's real close to a number of subway lines. Uh, it's a hell of a place just to come and wander through. Uh, and I'll give a guided tour if we have the time, and I expect we would. Um, so if you're interested at all, let me know. Take one of these things. Maybe take one of these, and on the back of it, write some contact information so that I can, in future, you know, advise you as to when we're going to be holding the readings. Uh, now I've got to just find some poems. Where'd they go? All right, here's one. This one is called, I don't know, let's see. I'm not sure. Yeah, this will do it. You know, I don't think I need to change my prescription just yet. Yeah. This one is called Mitch Landrew. Mayor of New Orleans authorizes the removal of four Confederate war statues. With an epigraph, Lee, the South is on fire. Grant, the South struck the match. My e pluribus unum can beat your insurrection anytime. Back to the quarry with you boys, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee. Pigeon-kissed captains of a breakaway ice flow meltingly said, where is your sting now, you generalissimos in the grass, you asps plucked from Lady Liberty's breast? Contrary to the bleat of Judas goats, the grass isn't always greener on a plantation. Horn-hunky Confederate flag wavers should just give it a rest. We program there clavern klaxon call with oh say can you see it is after all the 21st century and no amount of cross burning will satisfy even a French quarter's need for light New Orleans it would seem finally got it right uprooting these pedestaled gray power engineers of discord there must be some cotton picking corner of hell for unregenerate souls whose down elevator Muzak is the rebel yell. 
signifying an inalienable okie-dokie to slave labor, dressed up in Sunday best rhetoric of states' rights. Good riddance, I say, to flags that semaphore, don't tread on me, tread on the already downtrodden, y'all. Flags bumper stickered on pickup trucks of those dusty few exchanging secret sign handshakes in Walmart parking lots. <coughs> Mourning their loss at every Gettysburg reenactment in perpetuity. Knowing Pickett never quite gets there. Fingers torn from picking their own damn cotton. Uh, let me just find something else. Come on. Uh, this doesn't want to work. Give me a second. All right. Uh, all right, I'm going to read a title piece for a book that I'm putting together. I wasn't going to, but I guess I will, if I can find it. Yes. It's called, uh, well, it's called if I can find it. All right. This is called Minotaur in Love. Let us start by saying those tracks he sleuthed weren't, as it proved, spore of armored antagonists, not likely to lead to a hotline cafe where necromancers could dial up the dead. Also, the smell was different, more like waffled honey of beehives, fruiting garden pears he and only he knew by heart. So when he happened upon her, ardor and odor combined to knee him in his ball sack. Startled, he wasn't quite sure whether to flee or fight. It soon became evident that she was lost to shepherdess, crooking after sheep lately on the menu, whose bones he had probably used to pick his teeth. To what some might view as his manimal better half, which was debatable, it was love at first sight. Though his animal nature still stamped out need of a good goring. When she smiled and asked for direction, her lifeline quivering in her palm, it was decided. He bowed shyly, it must be said. She curtsied, perhaps a bit sheepishly. Smitten, his legs almost gave way to impuissance of sand and sangre endured by lesser breeds, schooled only in bullring dancing and not in life's finer things. To his eyes, usually burning with Hephaestus's fire, she appeared well indefensibly soft, certainly no bullfighter, squeezable as the most delicate of toiletry products. She had no superwoman lariat in hand, twirling cyclonically to rodeo the beast in him, nor did her heaving chest bear any mark of a bronzy breastplate. Soon, he had fashioned a xylophone out of bones of MIA Achaeans and played it for her. After she stood on tiptoe for a kiss, he had her take his tail to be led through the maze to the house. Days and weeks and years passed amazingly quickly, 
He closed the labyrinth, hung a keep-out sign, grew and sold roses, declined several score duels and entreaties of even younger shepherdesses. They lived together a long time before she died. He buried her in the yard among fallen heroes. Made weak by loss, he welcomed Theseus. When a half-man, half-bull falls, he falls hard. You might as well leave it down. Thank you, Harvey. Our next reader is Richard Fine. Give it up for Richard. My first is an unabashed hate poem. It's about time someone wrote a hate poem. Anti-lettuce polemic. Beware subversive leftover lettuce, grand roughage of the alimentary tract, gaseous producer of badly timed farts that create an up-your-nose embarrassment as the other end sputters into red-faced flatulence. The green stuff on the plate seems to be just always there, hanging around, loitering, after the burger and fries are ravenously gobbled up. With that dead forest still on the dish, the waiter might not yet hustle the leafy floppiness away to try to tempt you with a sweet diabetic disaster. Think of the calories you'll save if that officious food manager leaves you in peace with that uneaten, belly-bloating rabbit food filling both plate and stomach with nothing that any real man or woman would want to eat. So let the archetypal wilted leftover remains remain plopped on your plate as the impatient waiter eyes your table while calculating his next probable tip. Since 1776, hot dogs are free of those British bangers so what a red-blooded American would now devour, devour sausages on a bed of green, soggy stuff? Besides, onions have already staked their sharp frankfurter claim amid mustard, relish, and oblong buns. And don't forget, the more lettuce stuffed in your mouth, the less all-American processed meat devoured, as those disgusting green appetites Saboteurs bulge our bellies. McDonald's might go broke. As Big Mac burgers roll downhill to bankruptcy. That's right. Lettuce is un-American. It will turn our economy into a soggy, indigestible mutch. So do your patriotic duty and take out your plastic knives and scrape your plate clean of those subversive leapings. And while singing Yankee Doodle, root out the, those vegan traitors by the roots and save your patriotic hungers for roast beef, fried chicken, and loin of pork. Here, here, here. <laughs> Next poem, a little different tone. Citation Creed. Imagine our fantasies about them are true that they really had refined their songs 
into a melody of words, merged their herds into tribes, invented politics, and became aware of death, and now yearn for a faith. All their feelings are expressed lyrically, and through the flux of pressure waves, comrades swim in tight formation. Soon a whale messiah, a supreme bard, summons the wayward, singing that none should swim alone, each should buoy the other in his slipstream. In a world of motion, this Messiah's call travels the deepest currents across the oceans, and all welldom gathers and, oh, <coughs> and sways as he moves, and is anointed by the gentle touch of his fluke. The common prayer, a breach into the air, they feel the winds which by their creed sail upward to the inverted blue sea. The clouds are worshipped as sprays of ancestors. Purgatory is the rocky shore, the shoals pressed hard against their breasts in a world where hardness is unknown, except at the end of their lives. But their bard sees beyond the dry terrain to the most distant shore, where the heavenly sea curves down to the land. He sings of their loved ones who have washed ashore, those ancestors who crawled on earth, their sins scraped away by sand and stone till they reach the horizon of the heavenly sea. There they rise again, swimming upward, breaching, spouting, filling the air with clouds, while below those left behind swim together with their bard. In their world, the living and the eternally living swim in concert across parallel seas. Thank you, Richard. Is Chris Roberts here? Negative. Is Jackie Braja here? Didn't think so. All right, our next reader is Gabriel Cummings. Give it up for Gabriel. All right, so I'm going to start this off by saying shout out to 7 Eleven for a free Slurpee Day. Come get a delicious treat at any 7 Eleven. No, I do not work for them. 12 hours from now. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> I gaze at the long parentheses of open sky, observing the gasps of stratus breaths, swirl around like contrasting opinions, subtly into infusing magical splashes of color. All attempts to draw conclusions from this are done with the edges of blunt knives. In the absence of dissecting opinions, the fragile ceiling radiates towards modern cuneiform symbols stacked like invisible cities, performing its volatile suite of precipitation that illuminates the pyrite sky. The rounded creases of condensation collide with the infinite event horizon, bombarding the formerly barren lands with millions of cleansing molecules, though blemished and bruised, Starburst storm clouds are praised for their truth. Amongst nature's ticker tape twilight, the sun-starved kisses of an evening breeze, I listen to the steady oscillations between turbidity and tranquility, luminous whispers who interfere, 
with the evening breeze. I stand awash in the paralyzing echo of madcap laughs from celestial beings whose billowing debut impedes every attempt to locate the morning star and confine these condensed vignettes to another being made of borrowed light. Undeterred, I balance atop this evening tree and worship the most distant of weather. Beneath the sullen shadow of the manic moon, I stand awash in this nimbus nightmare. Thank you. Our next reader is our winner of Poem of the Year for 2016. You could be her this year if you get enough votes. Give it up for Julia Knobloch. Hi. So I wanted to bring a happy poem because... Does it work? Yes. Yeah, it works. Because I never bring happy poems, but then I didn't. So, oh, <laughs> so, out. so the other day a friend asked me if I ever wrote a poem about my abusive ex-husband and I said no, he's not worth it. <laughs> and, um, but then yesterday this poem sort of popped up and so I really wrote this yesterday and I'm reading it tonight. It's called Memphis. Oh, and I should say, so, so the thing that this alludes to is there is like this Peabody Hotel in Memphis and apparently it, it's a, like a tourist attraction to have the ducks. It's like living ducks who live there and they march into the lobby of the hotel and it's been an ongoing attraction for several years. This is what comes up, so just so you're not confused. Memphis. When the ducks marched out of the elevator, we were on our second martini. I don't like hard liquor but I made many exceptions then. Like two hours earlier, when I let water into the tub in our room at the Peabody Hotel, charged as usual to my card. And he felt the sudden need to take me from behind, a newlywed's pleasure I couldn't relate to, but tried. Oh, my body was way too large to cause him lasting excitement anyway, so for better excitement, he punched my face. When the ducks marched out of the elevator, in the crowd of tourists, a baby cried. How old is he, I asked the mother. Six months, she said, and I turned to my husband's stern face. See, darling, I quacked. That's the age of our marriage. Like this cute boy, we will outgrow the first year woes. Now let's go visit Sun Studio. Instead of saying, get the fuck away from me, crazy sex addict, money sucker, cheater. I didn't know he was already then saving up for his new life with a colleague whose body offered so much excitement he didn't have to hit her. His mother knew I would not come back to their gated community. That explains the way she dismissed me when we set out on our claustrophobic road trip back to New York. When the sister stood behind the screen door smirking, a blind cat on her arms, I, the mean bitch who prevented their son's and brother's happiness. My mother, in turn, in one of her rare moments of insight, asked, you don't look happy in this picture, out of shape, puffy, forced smile at the Mississippi Bridge. What's going on? Mom, 
On Beale Street, I forced pancakes down my aching throat. In the hotel room, I let him shove his penis between my lips. In the bathtub, I squeezed a rubber duck and sang songs from Sesame Street. Thank you. I like to say, Julia, fuck that guy. That was a great first line, by the way. What? <laughs> when the ducks walked out of the elevator, we were on our second martini. That's like one of my favorite first lines ever, I think. It's so strange. The next time I have a martini, which, which might be a while, I'm going to think of the ducks. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can see why. <laughs> it's not a great drink anyway. Yeah. Especially if there's a motherfucker behind him. Anyway, that was Julian Knobloch. <laughs> Before that was Brittany Davidson. Before that was Gabriel Cummings, Richard Fine, and Harvey Suss. Our next reader is the Opera of the Year for 2016. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Hi, everybody. So I have an announcement to make. Since we were last here, Julie Hart, had her birthday. So I was thinking we should sing happy birthday to her. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Julie. Happy birthday to you. I don't know about you, but I feel better now. So I have two little poems. Um, the first one is called Sharon, with a Y. Um, I'll just read it instead of introducing it. Sharon, she owned the midday moon above the rock ledge. Steamship smokestacks stuck in her lips. Diagonal zip-black leather jacket open like the chest of a defiant corpse. She strode the asphalt path past my window, long Colossus Harbor crossers owning the sky, the rock ledge, the pale disc moon, the tough girl flap of her black leather jacket, and didn't care, despite the deed to the day that she carried in her sneer for any of it, or the clasp that held dominion glinting in her hair. All I ever wanted was to make a breeze like hers when I walked by. <clears throat> this is the first poem I ever named Poem. <laughs> because of the difficulty of coming up with a name that wouldn't either tell you where it's going or tell you where it's been. So it goes by pretty quickly. It's called Poem. The, the poem is about misanthropy, um, that, that feeling of um, not being part of the human race. And uh, it's a feeling I've struggled hard to accept in myself. Uh, because it's so misanthropic. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, 
I couldn't write the poem unless there was just a little soup song of hope in it. So I hope that I got that in there. Poem. Society is the club I joined to help me be unhappy with the solitude that I prefer. <laughs> Manic is the quest I pause to trust the horrid self I swerve to miss. Marriage is the foil I wrap my head to foil the voices that would fingernail the chalkboard where my formulas are written. And though we mostly do -si do as passing back to back we rarely face each other, yet I feel salvation flutter in my sternum when I can bear to let you near enough to straighten out my collar. That was good, Arthur. Thank you. I like soup zone of hope. There was. In case you were wondering, there was a soup zone of hope. Do you guys like that word? Uh, look it up. It's a fun word to look up and try to pronounce. Uh, we're on to the wait list. I have something to ask of the poets I'm going to call up here from the wait list. Read your best poem. And I mean one poem. <laughs> Your one best poem that you have tonight. By Gabriel. He's Gabriel is out. He's like <laughs> it's, it's, Yeah. Some some New Jersey poets are still here. All the New Jersey poets are leaving. <laughs> except for Arthur. <laughs> Arthur, I I read for Arthur on Wednesday. It was like an hour out there. And then I really appreciated Arthur. He comes here every month from New Jersey. It takes him like an hour. Let's give a round of applause to Arthur Russell. I mean, that is not an easy trip. I wouldn't do it for any other borough, man. <laughs> the soup zone of hope. <laughs> our next reader is not only our wonderful intern, but she has her mom here. So give her a warm welcome, Tess Congo. First off, I just want to say Gregory Crosby is awesome. I'm in his workshop now, so if you have the opportunity. <laughs> Perfect, I've been waiting for it. Cartography. I have had to leave so much and many behind that when I am left behind, I feel there is less of me each time. It is not like a ghost being tethered to its former home. It is like a ghost forgetting it ever had a home. On the platform, I told him I could help feed his cat. Here, kitty, catnip, I said, tossing air catnip to air cat. I have to wake early, he said. Do you not want to hang out with me, I asked. I do, he said, but I've mapped out my life. There's no room. Sometimes it surprises me that I am still not small enough to fit inside someone else's world. I can take a nail 
and scrape any surface for ocean. I lift floorboards for pieces of sky. How many ways I can fall? How many depths can I discover inside myself? They don't tell you in biology that the moon pulls the tides of our chests, our breaths crest skin away from our ribs. I think about slipping myself out sometimes. Could my body be a door? Could my soul slip out through the mail slot? I believe in all worlds connected, as if we were all part of a bleeding watercolor map. Everything is a little blurry, but I can't be the only one who's here. That was damn good. Um, so I live tweet, among the many things I do, Arthur, is I live tweet this event. And uh, I feel like when you're trying to remember a line, you discover how good it is as you're trying to tweet it. Because if it's, if it's like just kind of good, it sort of disappears in your mind. But uh, if it's really good, it sticks. The line I liked in that poem was, sometimes it surprises me that I am still not small enough to fit inside someone else's world. That's some gold right there. You it for Tess Congo. <laughs> Live tweeted. <laughs> uh, is Eric Levitt here? Negative. Our next reader is, I believe, leaving the country soon. So give it up. Is it Dorit Jordan? Is that right? Dorit Jordan. Yeah, I was visiting from a little part of the world called Zululand, and I'm leaving this weekend, but I had a lot of fun with the Yorp. The poem is called uh, Deep Fried Everything. <laughs> Deep Fried Everything. Gathering crumbs on her fingers, she pokes her elbows at the button to get the Tina Turner song on as she whacks an egg on the edge of a bowl. Did her voice sink down to Ike's? as the knife sliced potatoes? Or did she rise up to Tina's over the noisy bubbles of oil? No one remembers. But years later, it plays in a bar, and a pair of cracked hands clutch a glass a little tighter. Thank you, Dorit. You had me at deep fried everything. There's no more to need, <laughs> need any more after that. Is Diamond Mathel here? Okay, it's a great name, but she is absent. Our next reader is Richard Loeb. Give it for Richard. You look like such a clean cut young man now, Arthur. Thank you so much. <laughs> I won't be uh, leaving the country soon, but I am starting a new uh, evil corporate gig uh, next week, so I won't be reading here for a long time, probably. Aww. So I'll miss you guys and gals. Uh, so uh, my poem is exactly two pages, and I'm making sure they don't stick together like last time I, I read. So uh, <clears throat> this is uh, a syllogistic proof of poetry is God. And if it offends anybody who's religious, sorry, not sorry. 
The density of poets within a community can be calculated extrapolating exponential inverse nature of the substrate divided by quantity of BS cubed derived through distillation of hypothetical farcical diminutives which shall otherwise and heretofore be referenced as the whatever. <laughs> like matter, poetry can never be created or destroyed since no poet ever truly creates anything. Thus, I regurgitate what I've taken in like a person with chronic bulimia, hoping nobody recognizes truth that lies in sticky mess I attempt to pass through this ultimate gag. Once poetry and music were one, joined in lyric verse until they drifted inexorably apart as Pangea split eons ago, poetry broke into sundry forms by literate of the day for purely academic reasons, now held captive within crumbling ivy-covered walls, libraries, and lecture halls. Of course, we have no real hard evidence, fossils, or stratigraphic record that might define exactly when this divergence occurred, so we can only conjecture. Much as snow-covered, lofty, lofty peaks of mountains formed through collision between tectonic plates, Towering works of modern poetry were created through inadvertent collusion, mankind stumbling into wakefulness after centuries of slumber, stubbing toes on walls of dark, lengthy, tangled labyrinths, minotaurs of sloth in constant pursuit before we emerged enlightened, exclaimed, Eureka! Some dismiss poems. Irrelevant, lacking in substance. However, most humans unaware are universe created by two touching poems. When an elegy was moving, near free verse at subatomic level, although some research points towards the second component having been an ode, sestina, or perhaps a double dactyl. Explosions occurred whose power might have destroyed the entire cosmos were it not for formal poetic bonds that serve to hold all substance together. Scientists inform us poetry continues to move at an incrementally diminishing rates towards outer reaches of our cosmos. Poetry as we know it may soon cease to exist, evolving into informal silicon-based life forms to which poetry will compose itself into new entities far beyond our reach or control. Many suggest poetry primal here all along is all things, all forms in nature. In his theory of relativity, Einstein utilized constant of light. While Einstein posited matter can't exceed speed of light, scientists now believe enlightened poetry can. As outlined previously, many suggest poetry does not matter, which equates poetry isn't matter. <laughs> Thus, if it fails to exist substantially, those very fundamental limiting tenets of Einstein's theory need not apply. Ergo, poetry may indeed exceed the speed of light, at which point, according to Einstein, its mass will fear the, fill the entire universe. If you can imagine poetry filling the entire universe, whose very existence might thereby be compromised. In conclusion, since we have irrefutably demonstrated poetry created the universe, in duality defying very laws through which it's governed, we may therefore assume poetry is the god particle. Higgs, Poisson, all are seeking, though many may question why it's sought, since 
very discovery potentially assuring our self-mutual annihilation. Thank you, Richard. We have two readers left. This next poet just got a tenure-track job and is leaving Brooklyn, so congrats to him. Oh, I, w I wasn't talking about you, but that's good. Thank <laughs> I was talking about our next reader. <laughs> but but, but I'm, I'm happy for you too, Richard. <laughs> he did. Uh, congrats to Richard as well. Congrats to our next reader as well. Give it up for David Grotel. Okay, another uh, thank you to Gregory Crosby. So this is a, uh, we're doing received verse forms and this is my villanelle. Uh, faceless, nameless sighs. The empty, faceless sigh bleeds the heart dry. Flesh is yet a mystery which has no why. The heart floods back in longing for a sigh, but muscles sag, his buffer years gone by in sybaritic pleasure every day, his empty faceless sighs bled his heart dry. Ring my bell, and dancing feet would fly towards an embrace, a twirl, away in nameless passion to bleed dry the heart. It's not just years that fly. In middle age, who kiss hold greater sway. Their flesh is still a mystery, a pull which has no why. Each hello is a prelude to goodbye. Back then, a panoply of flesh to lay, but now, the empty faceless sigh bleeds dry all flesh, and lusting ever has no why. Thank you. Okay, we're on to our final reader of the night. He's a former Broken Poets student of mine. Give it up for Scott Fishbein. Hey, how's everybody going? Good. All right. So uh, you know who Michael Bay is? The director. He directs the Transformers movies, those like CGI movies with Shia LaBeouf. All right. Well, this is a dramatic monologue from his perspective. It little profits theater's pockets nor their time to play lethargic, tired old films, relics born onto the screen for a gone audience long dead. The studios desire not little films with little crowds, musty boutique joints full of seniors and some thin-brained art school kids with big glasses so thick the screen can't be seen and some dumb elite opinions they formulate that they throw at us, me, about Godard, Hawks, Hitchcock, Kurosawa, or Eisenstein, the downfall, loss, defeat of cinema now playing at a theater near you? Oh, please, enough. I knew Godard. I loved him back then before you could even tell Barney from a real auteur. I studied the gems of Truffaut. I've known Bunuel. I've been dazed by the masters of the screen. But their days are done, and, and but little now can they profit anyone. 
Let us give the people the stuff they want, the fire, the speed, dizzy views of a motion-sick American dream where cars are gods, whose miracle spectacles can earn me many $15 tithes, sacrifices from fervent observers to receive our sacrament of green screens and CGI dreams. I may be a convert, but it profits much, and profit is the proof of my newfound religion, where art and the prophet can live in some unison. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. That, unfortunately, concludes our open mic tonight. Word of advice, if you would like to read at the open mic next month, sign up early, as in now. The sign-up basically begins right now. Don't wait for the newsletter. I've heard a couple of people ask about that tonight. The newsletter goes out a week before the next event. By then, the, wor- the open mic is usually full already. Um, our next open mic occurs August, what is it? August, the second Monday, I just looked it up, and I've already forgotten. Does anyone know? Is anyone going to help me? No one's going to help me. I just have to. <laughs> August 14th is the next Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. My birthday is August 3rd, so definitely bring me gifts. Uh, I'm not going to be like one of those people who's like, oh, don't bring me gifts. No, I'm like, no, bring me gifts, because if you bring me gifts, I'll, I'll definitely be 41, and thank you for telling everyone that. <laughs> Uh, I just got engaged. Thank you, everyone. My beautiful fiance is in the back. On top of bringing me gifts, you should definitely bring her gifts as well. Every gift you give to her is like two gifts for me. Uh, To backtrack over our open mic, in case you want to vote, again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month is 718-374-1953. Our final reader was Scott Fishbein. Going backwards was David Grotel, Richard Loeb, Dorit Jordan, Tess Congo, Arthur Russell, Julia Knobloch, Brittany Davidson, Gabriel Cummings, Richard Fine, Harvey Sauce, Alan Braverman, Sarah McCauley Passino, Judy Schneier, Bill Livingston, Shara Hardison, and Julia Cohen. 718-374-1953. If you can just remember their name, that usually suffices. Um, remember our workshop deadline this Sunday for our last three final summer workshops. Uh, moving forward a couple weeks, if you're going to the NYC Poetry Festival, July 29th to July 30th, we will be there on July 30th, which is a Sunday. A special treat, Daniel Borzutsky was the National Book Award winner last year in poetry. He will be reading for us along with Ty Freedom Ford and Elizabeth Velasquez. So that's definitely going to be a great reading. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the warm weather. We'll see you in August with all your gifts. Thank you for coming. Good evening. So there you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for July 10th, 2017. Congrats to our intern, Tess Congo, for winning Poem of the Month for her poem, Cartography, decided by audience vote. Tess has earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 11th, 2017. That's the December yawp. Tess will go head-to-head with the 11 other winners of Poem of the Month over the past year, and they will compete for coveted Poem of the Year honors. So definitely save the date for that 
Our next drop comes your way on August 14th, 2017 at 61 Local at 7 p.m. Featuring poet Miller Oberman. Miller taught a wonderful workshop for us this summer called Poetic Beasts, so I'm sure he will be going into full beast mode with all of you poets at that Yop workshop. Thanks again to our professor Gregory Crosby for leading our July workshop on Slant Rhyme and kicking off the open mic. For more information, once again, about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. That's all for this month. We hope you come in August. See you next time. Take care.